I just want to continue uh, with the word uh, this morning. You know, have you been reading through the daily reading plan and just getting a bit of encouragement from the word? Have you been going on to WHBC daily and, and putting your comments on there so that someone else is being encouraged by what you're hearing as revelation from the Lord? Because I, I, I don't know about the, what happens with these things is we, we, we do them for a while and then we think, oh, no one's reading what I'm saying. And so we stop. But I tell you, I'm looking at the comments. I'm looking to see who's doing stuff. What's God doing? Because if you're writing down things there, then I guarantee you're probably speaking them into other people's lives. If you're not writing them there, I bet you probably aren't sharing. Ooh. No, no, no. I didn't say that, did I? Hmm. Oh, well. Well, should we, should we pray? Father, we thank you. Your word is living, powerful, effective, productive, and effect, efficient. Thank you, Lord. Your word is spirit and life to us. And I thank you, Father, that word shaping us, changing us, releasing faith in us, releasing miracles through us. Lord, I thank you. Your word's not going to return void. It's not going to return empty. It's not going to just uh, be spoken and fall to the ground. But I thank you. Your spirit is overtaking that word, overseeing that word, uh, causing that word to come to life and productiveness through us and in us. You're going to bring that word, this word, back to our minds again and again. And Father, we submit our minds to your word. We submit our hearts to your words. Thank you, Jesus. And my words will be few, but yours will be many. Lord, I just submit, Father, I want to be less and so that you're able to be more. I want to allow you to be more so that it's not me fighting to try and make myself less. Thank you for your promise. Amen. Just turn with me to Acts 8 as we just uh, want to pick up this uh, this verse that's uh, that is our theme at the moment that uh, we're working with, uh, Romans 8. If you were here last week, I'm not going to uh, go through uh, much of it. I, I want us to read this together. I'm reading in the Message Bible. You know, we, we read other versions because it stops us in our tracks usually and, and makes us actually really look at carefully at what we're actually reading. You know, sometimes we can read the version that we're used to and it's almost like it just goes over our heads. So let's just read this together. Uh, I, I'll read it. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. This is verse 29 of chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 29. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. And we saw last week, 
We saw five truths that I I just drew out uh, from these uh, scriptures. One, God is at work in our lives. He's effectively, he is powerfully, and he is productively at work. He's not passive. He's not just asleep. He's not just leaving us to get on with things, but he's at work in our lives. And then secondly, we saw that God is at work for the good of his people because that's who he is. He is good, and therefore everything he does, he speaks, he plans, is good. And for our good. Because that's the third one, is that God is at work for our good in all things. Not that all things automatically work for our good, but he is working to turn them around to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that we get ourselves in. God is always at work to turn us back, to bring us into his plan, to make sure that we stay en route for what his plans have been spoken out from the creation of the world right the way forth, and he's going to see us right to the end. And then we, the fourth one is we see that God is at work for those who love him. There is a response uh, from us that causes him to be more effectively at work in our lives. It's not just he's at work in everybody's life. There is a selection process. He has done everything that's needed for everybody, but he's waiting to do even more for those who love him. There is a grace there. There is, there is something waiting. And then fifth, we saw that those... God is at work for those who have been called according to his plan. That God's got the plan. He's not just working for our plans. He is working to produce his plan, his timing, his works, so that we have the most blessed, effective lives ever. That's, that was last week. So what's God going to speak this week? You see, the, these are the things that come out of the Spirit. These are the, uh, with the previous verse that I didn't read. It's, it starts with, uh, we don't know how to pray. There are many things that we don't have a clue about. But what happens is, as we begin in praying in the Spirit, the Spirit who searches the deep things of God makes known those things to us, to our spirit, so that we move from a lack of knowledge into knowledge. From a lack of understanding into faith. There, that's the work of the Spirit as we pray. There is something of the prayer need of us as a people. That's why we're, this week we're sitting aside, praying and fasting, or, or, or pressing in to the face of Jesus. It's about us moving from some ideas that we might have to clarity. You know, there's some things we know, but we don't quite understand what, how, and when. And as we pray in, he shows us the what, how, and when. Things that we're not clear about become clear. Things that we just bewilder us, puzzle us, make us want to throw our faith in the bin at times. When you begin to pray, the clarity, the reality, and a new starting point, you start to see actually what God's been doing all along, but you've been looking at it wrong because you've been looking at the problem rather than the solution. He's the solution. He's the solution. And so you see, this is what we see. And as, we, as we're entering into these uh, scriptures, and we're just going to unpack some things this morning, I've got another five truths I want to uh, do this morning. So we'll see if I can get through all of them this morning. 
Are you ready? All right. Those he first foreknew. So if you're taking notes, this is the first of the truths. God says that he foreknew us. He knew ahead. He knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He foreknew. Uh, you know, the normal thing is, you know, we, we talk about this is about salvation because this is the context of salvation. Those he foreknew, God was working. But so we, we kind of have this idea that, uh, you know, God predestined people because he knows who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. Well, the trouble is that actually is error. That's not what this scripture says. Okay. You see, that means that salvation is part of your merit. You kind of chose right. And therefore he gave you what you chose. So you were part of that decision process, or you were the prime part of that decision process. Uh, whereas the truth is that salvation is from God. Uh, John, uh, John, John 15 verse 16 says, you did not choose me. He makes it clear. You didn't choose salvation. But I chose you and appointed you to produce fruit. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that lasts. So even the very choosing that we do of God started because God looked out, saw us, and decided to do good to you and to me. How amazing is that? That he's so, he foreknew. You see, when we talk about knowledge, when we talk about foreknow, it's not some kind of intellectual kind of looking and going, yeah, yeah, they fit the right mold, that's the right thing. No, we, we understand, because this is what it says in Genesis 4 verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve, and there was a baby. There was something intimate Something loving, something of reproductive nature happened because Adam knew his wife. So when it's the same word, when God knew us, his love, his intimacy, his involvement in our lives produces fruit. That's awesome. When we think, God foreknew you and me. Wow. Wow. He, 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 it says in Deuteronomy 7. Let's just uh, flick to that if you've got your Bibles. And if you haven't, you need a Bible. You know, we put some of the scriptures up on, on, uh, on, on behind me. And, uh, but, you know, don't, don't, don't just rely on those things. All right. So... Uh, Deuteronomy 7, uh, starting at verse 6, it says, uh, in my Bible, the NIV here, it says, For you are a people, don't matter which version you use, just keep it up there. <laughs> For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Hey, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the amazing news of the gospel. That out of all the people around on the earth, 
God looked out, saw you and me, and made sure that he brought the right people to us to speak to us. People who were listening to him, who would then speak the words that he showed them to speak, and not just their own ideas. And he spoke through them into our lives. And we went, wow. We didn't understand it, but we kind of went, yes. And suddenly salvation began to happen in our lives through revelation, not through understanding. That's the amazing thing of the gospel. The gospel is a revelation. God speaks something and somehow you know it's true. It doesn't make clear sense to you in a way that your mind can get around, but you know you've just heard something that's right. It rings right. It sounds right. You know it's right. Inside, it's like, it, res- it echoes inside. And you go, okay, I don't know what this means, but I am choose you, Jesus. And you see, this is, this is, we are the people of God. We understand. This is our appointment when we preach. We preach the words he gives us. We speak into people's lives. And he is causing that to echo inside that that foreknowledge that pre-plan that God so knew he chose to be his treasured possessions and what does it says in verse 7 it says the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people for you were the fewest of people but it was because of the Lord loved you the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers. You see, when we, when we talk about no, you could swap that word no for love. <laughs> That's what we've just seen with Adam and Eve. Adam knew his wife. No, Adam loved his wife. Life happened. God knows us. God Loves us. So knowledge, foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge is the source, the only source of divine election. It's the only source of divine election and predestination is divine love. God's love, his divine, his, his love is so pure, so amazing that he pre-planned you and me to be saved. So we see this, this, this first love. This is what it says in, in 1 Peter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter 1. Echoes this same thing. 1 Peter 1. One Peter 1, verse 2. To, to the elect, oh, to the first one start. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered among the various places who have been chosen chosen according to the foreknowledge the intimate love filled sovereign love of God that's what it means chosen through that knowledge for the sanctifying work of the spirit for obedience obedience to Christ Jesus by the sprinkling of his blood grace and peace be yours in abundance that's, that's God's heart. Do you hear God's heart for you this morning? He foreknew you. But then he did something more. You see, love is always practical. 
The second thing is he predestined. He predetermined. He made a decision. Love results in decisions. The word is uh, porprozo, I think it is. I don't know how you say this. P-R-O-O-R-I-Z-O. I'm no Greek expert. But it talks about this in Acts 4, verse 28. It says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand to do. Would happen, depending on which translation you read. So, those disciples, those, those, until actually the disciples are referring to the authorities and the powers and principalities. They did what you had pre-planned, knowing in advance, predestined, called it into place, that plan, that action. You worked out, God said, it says in the Bible, they did according to that plan. And it says, so in other words, what we're saying is, when there's a decision to become a Christian... When someone makes that decision to become a Christian, we have to realize it was God's decision before it was ours in our own lives and with other people. But that's exciting because that, that releases faith to us. Every person we know that we're going to go to, God is pre-working in advance for that person's salvation. Every person we go to, God has been pre-planning pre-working things out, getting you ready, getting them ready, that salvation is another step closer to them. How exciting. That's a change of attitude for us. We begin to see. It's not that uh, God doesn't give us a choice. But you see, we can only decide because he first decided for us. He decided to select. He decided this person. It says, it says in Ephesians uh, 1, uh, verse 5, it says that this was God's pleasure. And this, that, sound, that may sound a bit of a weird thing. God takes pleasure in the plans and decisions that he's made for you and for me. He's not perverted and kind of trying to make sure he beats you up. His good pleasure... His good pleasure. Just read this. Ephesians 1 verse 5. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Wow. Predestination. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't... It doesn't make us apathetic. You know, we, we recognize this is God's work. And we don't kind of just switch off and say, all right, okay, it's God's work. Don't need to do anything about it. Because that would mean that all, everything, every decision we make is null and void. No. God's, there's a responsibility on us. But the responsibility is only on us because God has pre-planned, set things out, saying, why would you accept destruction? When the salvation is available. That's the choice. Don't. Don't. Don't kill yourself. Receive life. That's, that's, what we, that's the message of the cross. And it, it's what it says. In Ephesians 4. Uh, 1 verse 4. The previous verse. It says. He chose us. Predestined us. 
adoption when? Before the creation of the world. This is how much the planning of God is intimate planning of God for you and for me. And every person we meet. Will everybody be saved? No. Has God's salvation been made available for all? Yes. And you see, that's, that's the dilemma we've got. Is a, is a, you know, it doesn't mean that God's sovereignty reduces our responsibility. It, the, the question sometimes we ask ourselves is, is, is it that they cannot receive salvation or is it that they will not receive salvation? And the answer to that is both. Cannot because we don't go. And will not because they don't always decide. But God has planned salvation for every single person. It's not an if. It is whoever. Whoever. There's, there's no kind of special ranks of decisions. It is anyone that actually makes that decision can receive salvation. There's no one so far away. No one so far away that they can't receive what God's clearly and freely giving. And it doesn't, predestination does, doesn't create a sense of uncertainty. It's, am I saved? Am I going to be saved? Am I Hang on, I don't quite get this. Is it my responsibility? Is it his responsibility? No. The Holy Spirit is given so we understand with certainty where we are going. Here's the guarantee that our hope is going to be realized. That Holy Spirit, that, that, that witness. That's what Romans 8 says. He, he witnesses us that we're sons. Not also rands, not just slaves, not just servants, but sons. The spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, Abba. It's that intimacy of dad. It's not daddy, like some little child. But it is a mature cry that knows the right place in the family. That I'm not some little child, but it is an honor place. It is Father, it is dad, it is authoritative, but it is also an understanding of right place. It's not some little child's cry. Wow. You see, this is, this is what he said. So what we, we, we are to understand is there's, there's a truth that flows out of this. If he's called, sorry, if, if he has foreknown me and predestined me, then one of the things that we know when we pray, we need to give thanks because our salvation, because we know in our hearts, God's entirely responsible for that. There's no pride. Predestination doesn't mean that we have any arrogance. What we realize is, wow, he did it all. Our response is, love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. Wow, why on earth would you choose me? But you have. How cool is that? How amazing. That's, you know, this is the good news of the gospel. That he didn't choose some also ran. He chose, handpicked, and selected us. You see, there's no boasting for the elect because of some favored destination. It just fills us with a sense of awe or that God chose us. There's no complacency that we can just do anything we want because we know, hey, if he chose us, let's just get on with life and enjoy life. No. So Romans 6 says, 
If we continue in sin? No, absolutely not. What God's intention was that we would not be subject to sin. We wouldn't have the consequences of it. It wouldn't mar and mark and spoil and destroy our lives. But through grace, we would be walking as people of faith, receiving everything that Christ has. But then we walk into, you see, he called us is the next one. See, God foreknew us, he predestined, and then he did the next bit. You see, it's no good me, sometimes, you know, Claire and I, we, we have plans of what we might do in the day. If I've got a day off, Claire kind of was like, oh my goodness, what's happening next? She's, she's learned to confess over herself of being an adaptable woman. But you know what's easier? If I let her know those thoughts. And so if I'm thinking, oh, should we go out for a meal? And I let her know that she, she can get ready. She's like, oh, go out for a meal. That sounds fun. Oh, Alan's already planned something. Isn't that great? Well, if that's our response in the natural, how much more do you think when God says he doesn't choose? He doesn't just have good thoughts towards us. He makes those thoughts plain. Hey, I have called you by name. I've called you by name. I have chosen you. You see, this is what the gospel, the gospel preached with power produces or plus people that are responding with you being to faith is those chosen people. Many are called, few are chosen. See, there's, a, there's, a, there's an entering into that call that's required. The call's there. You see, Claire, Claire can, pay, can, can hear me saying, I've made an appointment for us to uh, 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 book the table at, the, at our favorite restaurant. And she goes, well, no. He doesn't really mean it. I'm not going to bother getting ready. I'm going to be busy. I'll go and cook dinner. In fact, I'm sure we need to eat tonight. I'll make dinner ready. And she just wasted her time, hasn't she? But also she's thrown away the gift of a nice meal without any work. Something she can just come and enjoy. Sometimes it's so simple. The call of God is so simple and intimate but we are so like, we've got to do it our way. Got to do it the way we think. When he's offering for new, so he understands us. Pre-called, predestined, and then he's called. So those three, those three then go together. But you see, that what it then releases and enables is the most amazing part of these scriptures. Justification. We simplify it so, so much, just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, but that is such an understatement. It's, it's so far below what it really means. Justification's not, it's not even uh, forgiveness. You know, forgiveness and requital just means you've been let off the hook. That, that's, that's not justification. That's forgiveness. All right? Justification includes forgiveness, but is more than that. It, it, it's, it's not even just acceptance that you can come into my presence just as if I've not sinned. Justification, it's a legal term. It is what a judge does. You see, just, be, just to give you a bit of a clarity, the opposite of justification is condemnation. 
We understand that one, don't we? We know we're guilty. Boom. We know we're not just that we're guilty, but we know there's punishment and there's consequences and all the rest of it. We understand all of that, but we don't understand justification. Justification, literally, is God as judge anticipating his judgment speaks into the here and now his future judgment and makes it past tense. What? It renders, it makes every charge, every accusation, not just dealt with, but as if they never happened. No charge left. There's no case to be brought. There's there's no accusation. The enemy has nothing left to bring against us. That's justification. God End time judgment brought into here and now with past effects. That's justification. It leads us into the understanding that not only do we get justification, it is the impartation, it is the investiture with the robes of the king himself. His righteousness. You know, when we, the, the Queen just celebrated the Diamond Jubilee, most of us only can remember because we've seen it on TV. None, not that many of us were around then. I certainly wasn't. When she was made the Queen, and they put her on the throne, she said some right things, and then they put on her the crown, the robes, the orbs, and they prayed all some stuff over her. Does she have to wear those robes to walk in her authority? She is endued with power. She is the queen all the time, whether she's got the fancy crown on or not. You and I, this is what justification does to us. It takes that end time judgment that completely settles and finishes everything, brings it into the here and now, deals with our past, and sets us into the right place where we're intended to be on the throne. Seed in heavenly places, now. There's a weird term called awist, which is, which is a Greek um, tense that is, is how Paul writes this. It, it makes something future, both now and past, at the same time. Our English language doesn't do that. And so what we say in here is we were justified. It happened. That's the security that we have before the Father today. He is not waiting to do evil, because he can't. He's only waiting to do good because that's already his decision. It's already yours and mine. That is salvation lived out in fullness. Wow. You know those coronation robes? They were external yet released in something internally. It brought about a change in a person and their character. 
that character. We've been transformed. That's what, that's what the Romans passage that we've been said. He made us to be conformed like him. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original intended shape of our lives. So we see what we should be. And then... It says, he says, after he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself, and then getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he started, or began. Completed what he began. Wow. You see, this is the function of grace. Grace's only function is to receive what grace offers. This is what faith's, faith's function. Grace is offered, faith receives it. Wow! Come on. This is such good news for our neighbors. This is the good news that God pre-planned, pre-worked out, foreknew, understood, called... And then justified. He didn't leave it alone. Uh, even at that point, he then goes on the next stage and glorified. Glorified. He glorified us. The manifest glorified just means the manifestation of God's splendor. But you see, that splendor, his glory, that means the visible splendor. So sometimes we get glimpses of God and it's, it's something very visible. It affects people's faces. It affects the wind or earthquakes or, or amazing things happen that we can see. We see a creation, not even a single uh, snowflake the same. The mountains, the splendor. You know, we went with that, that wedding and so I just took a photograph of, of, of nature. That's why so many people get into worshipping nature. They're just bowled over by how beautiful it is. And that's just the reflection of the extension of something of the appearance of God's glory. Or something. <laughs> wow. Wow. But that, that's the visible. But it also glory is the moral beauty of God's manifold perfections. So it's physical. It's moral. It's his inherent excellence. Wow. I know this is all dictionary stuff, but actually gives us a sense. God's inherent nature, his excellence, it's the beauty of God revealed. It's the inward majesty and the brightness of God shone into the world. That's, it doesn't imply sanctification. So it doesn't directly say sanctification, but it implies it in what we're hearing here. That God sets us apart for glory. God justifies, sets us apart, sets us up in the place of authority and power and puts good robes on us of authority that make us look amazing. The lights are a little bit bright. I bet they shine off my glasses and sweat or whatever. You know, maybe it doesn't make me look too amazing. But if I put the right makeup on under the, the lights for TV cameras... You can get to look amazing. You can hide tired eyes. You can hide all the, the other stuff that maybe go on. You, you know, the, what we see on the TV, and when you see the person, kind of, there's usually a bit of a gap between those two. That's why we need Photoshop. 
But what the Bible teaches us is what we see Jesus is to see us. To see us is to see Jesus. Those five things work to move us into the right place of standing. Because everything else that flows next in those scriptures, powers, authorities, angels, demons, <laughs> whether they can or can't help hurt you is where you're seated. If you have been moved into a new place, no accusation left, what else does God need to do?